How many of you would say that you have more than enough? More, do, put hands up if you've got more time than you need or, or more money than you need. Anyone got more energy than you need? Not so much. I mean, if, if you uh, identify, we, as some of you know, have got a big family, seven kids. They're at that stage now where everybody's involved in different sporting things. Five of them are boys. And how cricket season, cricket's a big game. Hey, it takes a big field and it takes a long time. So every person needs to be at a different venue in and around KZN to play cricket all of Saturday. Similarly, Kiara has to be in Glenwood for ballet on a Saturday morning and on a Friday evening. We have got kids that are all over the show and it is is only getting busier and busier, and the petrol price. Hey, I don't often boast about going to expensive places, but we did go to the gas station this week. It is very, very expensive. We, don't have, we do not have the money we need, the time we need, the energy we need to go on with our lives and to do all of the things that we need to be doing, but the church, apparently, according to the Bible, is blessed to be a blessing. We are supposed to be those that from the overflow of our lives, other people gain life. When, Je when God, uh, Jesus, when God separated a man to himself and grew that man into a family, into a nation, he said this to Abraham. He said, I will bless you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. And as the nation of Israel grew, that was their mandate. As the, the family of this man grew into a nation, that was their mandate. Blessed to be a blessing. And we, the church, remain with that over our lives, with that mandate, with that banner over our lives. Blessed to be a blessing. But we don't have more than enough. And so I've entitled this message, rather than blessed to be a blessing, blessed insufficiency. Because it is something that we need to come to terms with to understand that we are insufficient for the very task, the assignment, the mandates over our lives as a collective and as a community. And if we understand that, we have far more chance of being successful in our mandates. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. This whole message is designed to teach us that we are not the source of the blessing, but the conduit of the blessing. When we understand that, we are far more likely to fulfill the mandate and the call over our lives. In this time of financial uh, difficulty and constraint and, and strain that we're under, we understand that as a church, we are called to minister to the poor, to minister to those who are in need. In actual fact, as a family, we've all agreed and, and voted for it, voted for it with actual votes, voted for it with our feet, voted for it that we want to be those who are willing even to move where we meet a couple of minutes so that we can be out of just an affluent area and into an area where we have access to those who are richer and those who are poorer, those who are mixed of all different race groups. We want to be able to build a community that is connected and reconciled, we want to be able to be blessed, to be a blessing. We want to influence our lives. But I think that some of us are sitting thinking, how much more are they going to ask of me? How much more is God going to ask of me? How much more is the church going to ask of me? How much more are people going to ask of me? I feel like my life is like a towel that has been wrung out. And I just don't know if it can be wrung any harder. 
I don't know if any more time, energy, money, anything more can drip out of my life if it is squeezed any harder. I just don't know if I have what it takes. We have a lady that is part of our community. Many of you know her. She's a part of this, this 10 o'clock service named Zanele. And Zanele, together with her husband, Kolani, led our community, the Anthem community, in Amorti. And when they were a young married couple, Zanele tells the story. First of all, she starts off with, God has always been good. God has always been good. That's the start of my testimony. And then she says, when we were a young couple, my husband Kalani, he was working in life schools into a high school program, and he brought home this boy, Sia. And Sia was a teenage boy who had suffered an injury on his head that he had had seven surgeries to try and repair, and they kept going septic. And so Sia was in a desperate situation. He was orphaned. He had no parents. And he arrived at their home with Kalani with a bag quite a big bag. And uh, they prayed with him for the week going into his seventh, or I don't know if it was a seventh or eighth surgery, going into the surgery. And so they prayed with him and they told this boy that there was a God that they knew that was able to come through for him and able to give him what they did not have. And uh, as Zanelli is telling the story, she says, I was a little worried because our house at the time, it was not enough. It was not enough for us and Sia. But they took him in and they took him into Albert Latuli and he had his surgery and he came home restored and healed and he just never left. He moved in with them and they raised him until he was old enough to grow up and to get a job of his own. But Sia was one of 10 that they did that for. Children that just kept arriving. One of the days, Salene tells, there was a boy who arrived, uh, Emmanuel. And he arrived in the morning, but Kolani was out playing soccer, taking some of the other boys to play soccer. And this young, this also teenage boy had been living on the streets. And so Zanelli was a little bit nervous because she had girls in her home and uh, she wasn't sure what this boy was capable of. And he said, can he just wait for Kolani? So he waited and uh, she gave him breakfast and she gave him lunch and she noticed that he also had his bags with him. <laughs> and when Kalani came home, uh, he had a little chat with Emmanuel. And then Zanelli says, she always knows that when Kalani says, Zanelli, can we just go and speak in the bedroom, please? <laughs> that there's a moment that's going to come in the bedroom as, she as he tells her the story where he asks, do we have enough? Are we connected to a God who has enough? for this one. Ten children have come through their home, raised and sent out into the world. When they, she says, we did not have enough, not one social grant did they take out for those ten children. But she says, God always provided. God always provided for every single one of those children. Zanelli seems to have this uh, inexplicable ability to connect to the source, her and her husband together. Three years ago, uh, when, when we, our daughter had an accident, uh, many of us were part of the church at that time, we're praying for that. At that same time, that same Christmas, Zanelli's best friend, Slee, went into a coma after giving birth to her first baby, and she remains in the coma to this day. A year later, Zanelli, now all the 10 children were through their home, but they still had four of their own children. Zanelli's sister passed away, leaving four children whom they took in. So now they had eight children and she had two major losses in her life. A year later, a year ago, Kolani passed away. And Zanele, as she tells us, she says, Jackie, Kolani and I were like one. We were one person. 
and I was anxious. And I know the Bible tells me not to be anxious, but I was. I was anxious and I was depressed and I just didn't know how I was going to raise these eight children, how I was going to provide for them, how I would be able to love them, the energy, the finance, all the provision that I needed. I just didn't know if I had enough resources. She says, Jackie, for, I was depressed for one or two weeks before I remembered and reconnected in to the source. And God has provided medication, food, finances. She says, God is so good. She has been so good to me. Who is this woman? She lives amongst us. She worships with us. She has this inexplicable connection to a source of everything that we need. Everything that others need that she by her own testimony, did not have enough to give. And so today we're going to speak about being blessed to be a blessing, understanding that we are blessedly insufficient, and yet we are quite able to fulfill our mandate of being a blessing to the world. So I'm going to propose that three things are needed for us to become conduits of blessing. I have this uh, lovely hose pipe that was uh, freshly cut off from a perfectly good hose pipe at home, and I might come under discipline for that. But this hose pipe, in order to become a conduit, needs to, first of all, be empty. To be a conduit, we have to be empty. Secondly, we can't just be empty. We need to be bound. We need to be held together. That's why I've wrapped this little bandage around to say we need to be protected. We need to have someone who is on our side, someone who's holding us together. But in and of that, we still need a third thing. We need to be connected. We need to be connected to a source of flow, a source of blessing, in order to be able to fulfill what God has asked us to do. Empty, held, and connected. Abraham, blessed to be a blessing. Israel, blessed to be a blessing. The church, blessed to be a blessing. As Israel, formed into a nation in slavery, was going to go out to fulfill this, this call over their lives, as they came out of slavery, they had a certain disposition. Slavery seemed to have produced those who cower and those who complain, and those who are always looking at the not enough in their hands. And so Israel comes out into the desert as those people, cowering, complaining, aware of the not enough in their hands. And as they go through 40 years of suffering, of training, of hardship coupled with freedom, it has produced warriors out of these cowering slaves. Because as they go along towards the end of their 40 years, they start to become a force to be reckoned with. Something that, in fact, the kings in the area start to notice and be very afraid of. And there's battles that they start to win as they're following God and as they're listening to the things that he has called them into. And as other kings in fear come against them, they just seem to be unconquerable. And right towards the end of these 40 years, the king of Moab, he's in there, he's they are in his wilderness, the wilderness that is across from Moab, the wilderness of Moab. The king of Moab, called Balak, notices this and thinks, I am actually terrified of this nation. In fact, he gathers his counselors around and he says, they are like an ox licking up the countryside. They are going to destroy us. We need to make up a plan. We need to think of a way of how we are going to beat these people. And the best way that he can think of is to curse them. 
And so he calls on a prophet, a prophet uh, that was for for hire in the area, Balaam, and he sends his emissaries to go to Balaam and to call him to come and curse the people of Israel. And so he sends out and he arrives at Balaam. Balaam consults with the Hebrew God, our God, and he consults with him and he says, I, I cannot bless, I cannot curse those whom God has blessed. And so they go back, but Balak, is, I say, I'm desperate. He sends him, he says, tell him, we'll pay him whatever he wants. And so they go again, and they manage to convince Balaam to come along with them. And so as he's going along with these emissaries back to Moab, back, back to the king Balak, in order to curse Israel, his donkey that he's riding on is not playing ball. First of all, the donkey veers off and got off the road into the field. And this is quite embarrassing for Balaam because he's this great prophet. He's got, supposedly, he not only sees into the supernatural, he has some sense of ability to bless and curse and have authority in the supernatural, and his donkey won't even obey him. So he's embarrassed, and he, he smacks his donkey, and he gets him back on the road, and he carries on, and they go through two vineyards which are walled. So he's going on in a passageway between two vineyards. And again, the donkey plays up and pulls him right against the one wall so that his foot gets crushed against the wall. And again, he hits his donkey and he gets back on and it narrows and they come to an area where there's no turning to the right or the left and the donkey just lies down and just won't go any further. And Balaam, in his embarrassment, over-disciplines, as we all do when we're embarrassed, over-disciplines his donkey and the donkey speaks up. And the donkey says to him, have I not been your donkey all these years? Have I not been faithful to you all these years? And Balaam responds by rebuking the donkey as opposed to being confused. He says, I'm so angry with you right now. If I had a sword, I would put it right through you. And with that, the prophet, the seer, the seer's eyes are opened and he realizes that his donkey has been seeing better than him. And in front of him is a warrior angel of God with a sword drawn, ready to kill the prophet Balaam. And Balaam has the humility and the sense to fall on his knees and to humble himself and to say, I didn't know. I didn't realize that I was so incapable. For the first time, Balaam realizes how empty he is, how incapable of bringing blessing or curse, of bringing any authority that has not been given to him, how incapable he is. And he, he offers to turn around, but the angel has now seen that Balaam realizes the position he is in as a conduit as opposed to an authority. And he says, you can go. Now you can go, but only say the words that God gives you to say. And so Balaam arrives before King Balak, called now, paid as a prophet, but he now understands his position. And so when he arrives in front of Balak, Numbers 22, verse 38, Balaam says this to the king. Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Friends, when we understand that we are insufficient, we are far more capable of being a blessing in the world. If you feel pressure to give what you do not have, you have not yet fallen on your knees and humbled yourself and had your eyes opened to the fact that you are a conduit, not a source. If you are thinking that it is lunacy, that it is ludicrous for 
elders and pastors to call you to go further, to go beyond, to go into Cornubia area, to be able to be more of a blessing, to ring you out even further as a towel who just cannot be wrung out, you have not yet fallen on your knees and realized that nobody is asking anything from you as a source. We are conduits of blessing connected to God. Balaam, for the first time, realizes that he is a conduit of blessing. Will we realize today that we and ourselves are empty? We often see insufficiency as something that is a difficulty, that we're afflicted by insufficiency. But I would argue that we are blessed by insufficiency. We are blessed by the fact that we are limited and empty. Pete Scazzero, who is uh, an amazing author and, and speaker, he, he helps us as, as Christians and as churches to enter emotional maturity by helping us to understand that we are gifted our limitations. God gifts us the fact that we can only live in one place in the geography of this earth, in one time in history. I cannot be the, the solution. If someone is coming to me with a problem, I cannot be the solution. You can all see that in Kalani and Zanelli's story, they knew in that moment in the bedroom when Kalani said, Zanelli, do we have enough? That neither of them were foolish enough to think that they were talking about what they had. They were talking about whether or not God was calling them to this specific blessing. Whether or not enough God was saying, in this, you will flow. Because it's not in everything. We cannot adopt everybody. We cannot give to everybody. We cannot be everything. Only God is the source. But he can choose, like any good gardener, where to aim the blessing that he's pouring through us. Not so? He can choose where to aim us. So all we need to ask is, is this where I'm meant to be blessing? I'm limited. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that I can only do so much. Thank you that I can only be in one place at a time. Thank you that I can only be the mother to a certain number of children. Thank you that I can only give a certain amount of money. Thank you that I can never hope to be everything that the church needs, that my family needs, that my business needs. I am gifted by my limitations. And because of that, I am emptied and able to be a blessing, able to become a conduit when I'm emptied. Throughout that time in the desert, going from slaves to cower and complain and look what's in their hands, Suffering, failure was emptying Israel to start to prepare them to become a blessing. Even your sin empties you. What the enemy means, means for harm, God means for good. Let it empty you. Repent of your sin. To embrace suffering as we heard this morning straight from heaven. Embrace the suffering that empties you. Even right now, why don't you just decide to embrace the hot environment that you're in? Just embrace it and just say, you know what? I actually, I deserve to sweat a little bit. Let me just sweat a little bit. And God, in this, in this sweatiness, in this hotness of the room right now, would you just start to flow? Would you start to release something? Would you start to open something in my spirit right now, God? I actually just let go. Will you empty me? Will you empty me today, God? But then we see that as we read the story, Balaam starts to bless them. He arrives in this place. Balak is going to take whatever he gets because he's desperate. So he says, just say whatever you can say over them. And so Balaam stands up and he looks out. He is taken to a place where he can actually see. And he looks out over Israel, massive, the camps, all in a, in a huge cross with the, uh, the, the tabernacle in the middle. And he looks down at it and he just sees 
through the eyes of God. He's given the gift of being a seer. And he'd, he's, oh, how beautiful are your tents? How beautiful is it that what God has done here? They are like an ox that licks up the countryside. You can imagine Balak, he didn't like it when he heard that. that was, he says, I'm paying you to curse them and you're just blessing them. This is not working. They go to a different venue, see if that'll work. Again, a second time, Balaam just speaks blessing over them. A third venue, third time, Balaam just speaks a blessing over them. And this is one of the things that he says as he blesses them. In Numbers 24 verse eight, he says, God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. A wild ox's horns are bigger than I am. Massive. That is the strength of the wild ox. This wild ox, this Israel, this nation that is licking up the countryside, that has got the kings in terror, its strength, its horns are God. That is what is bringing this nation strength. And every time they try to do battle in their own strength, they lose. And every time they go out with God and God commands them and God sends them, they win incredible, miraculous battles. These slaves that were cowering just a few years ago have become these strong warriors, understanding that God is their strength. They are completely held, bound together, protected by the strength of God. Friends, Zandele's testimony is that God provided everything she needed. Not the government, not even her husband, because she learned to do it without him. God was her source. Not the size of her home, not her bank account, certainly. But the source of God, energy, finances. Right now, are we trusting that God will start to release everything we need as we accept that we are empty, but also that we are held? That the horns of the wild ox are with us, protecting us, fighting on our behalf, advocating for us before we have even gone into the environment that we are needing victory in. It is ironic, not ironic, very, very intentional, that as we read this account of this blessing, it takes three chapters because there's a lot of blessing that Balaam has to say over, over Israel. The chapter before is about Israel's rebellion. You might remember the plague of snakes that are sent out amongst them. So they are rebelling. They're rebelling against Moses. They're rebelling against all their leadership. They're rebelling. There is dissension in the camp. The leaders are fighting amongst each other. It is absolute anarchy in the camp. The chapter at the end, again, after the blessing, continues with the rebellion and the loss and the death and the things that are going down. And yet, Balaam, from, from up above, is given God's eyes to see that this very nation is going to be who God is going to use to be a blessing. As God looks at your life and you think, how me? Have you seen where I failed? Have you seen where I've fallen short? Have you seen where I'm not good enough, where there's disagreement, where there's disunity? He looks and he says, the horns of the wild ox, that's going to fight for you. The failures are just going to empty you. The suffering is just going to empty you. The difficulties of this age are just going to empty you. You will become a blessing to the nations around you. But it gets even better. King Balak is now ready to fire Balaam. He says, you done? Thank you very much. It was absolutely terrible. I hated it. We're not going to pay you. Go home. And Balaam says, there's more. I've got more. God is not done speaking. And he is given the incredible privilege of being the prophet 
that saw the Messiah to come, as he looked out over this nation, he saw the very way that they were going to be able to become a blessing. And as he looks, he realizes, earlier today, I was the prophet whose donkey saw better than me, and now my eyes have been opened. And he starts this, this fourth prophecy, which has not been asked for, by saying, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. As he humbles himself, his, he realizes that it is completely God who is opening his eyes and enables him to bless the nation. This is what he sees in Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. He is seeing the lion of Judah that was roaring over us earlier today. The lion of Judah who right now roars over you, the star, the scepter, the ruler of this nation that was going to enable us for the first time in history to actually be able to be a blessing. Because throughout Israel's history, though they tried, they just were unable to come to be able to, to be the blessing to the nations around them. They failed again and again and again, like you and me do when we're doing it in our own efforts. But through the ruler, through the horns, through the one who is going to be able to open up a way for us to prepare the way of the Lord, this Jesus enables us to die to ourselves for that suffering to empty us to the point of death and to be risen again as life bringers, life givers in our community. In actual fact, in centuries to come, when Jesus actually walked on the earth, there was one sermon that was recorded that he spoke. And it started like this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor, blessedly insufficient. We are not called, friends, just to be a blessing to the poor. We are called to understand that we are the poor. We are blessed when we understand that it is not us. There's not, there's not some who must give and some who have to receive. We are all those who need to receive. We are all the poor. We are all emptied. But when we understand that we are also able to be connected to the source, then we are, for the first time in history, able to become a blessing to those around us. That word, blessed, blessed, that Jesus spoke about us, about the poor, is actually, comes from the root word, bletzion or blotzon, which is blood. Blood is synonymous with blessing. There is no blessing where there is no blood, giving of life, a flowing of life from him to us. Jesus died for us, gave his blood for us, and we're sometimes a little bit hesitant in the church to tell those who may be unfamiliar with, with church language that we partake of his blood. In actual fact, we have a symbolic ceremony that we, that we do as often as we can and in our families and in our greater community as well, where we drink 
wine, symbolic of drinking his blood, eating his body, something that Jesus told us to do. And we might think, oh, the world is going to think we're weird. May I remind you that the world is not unfamiliar with the concept of blood being given as lifeblood for others. Turn on Netflix if you have it at home and you will see that every third series and movies is about vampires these days. People understand the concept of being the walking dead, of needing life that is in blood needing life from others. They also understand the concept of loving someone enough to give your, your blood in order to allow them to live a little bit longer. But where it differs in the church is it is not a, here's a portion, here's a portion, here's a portion. Our Jesus, because he was able to conquer death, is a God who never bleeds out. He never runs out. He never runs out of blessing. Friends, when we are connected in to the blood, blessedly poor, blessedly connected in to what the blessing is, the flow of lifeblood from Jesus to us, there is no end to the blessing that we can bring. There is no limit. Ten children, then another eight. There is no limit when we are connected. Will we stand up and be those who are inexplicably connected to a source of love, provision, energy, time. Able to understand it's not in and of ourselves. Don't wring yourself out. But will you accept that you are empty? Understand that you are bound, protected, fought for, and remain connected to the source of it all. It is a humility as well as an understanding of our glory to be connected to a God and to understand that through me, you may receive the life blood of God. Through you, your family, those who you've been hoping to give more to, are able to receive the life blood of God without any limit to financial resource, spiritual blessing, time, energy, all of those things. There is a limitless source in God. We can't be a blessing, but Jesus did. Perhaps we can agree, as I bring this to a close, not to be like slaves who try and catch the trickle, who try and block the end, who try and stop the flow and keep it because we can see that we don't have enough. Why don't we focus on the other end, friends? Why don't we understand? Why don't we make a decision to accept our emptying and our emptiness, but to connect ourselves to the one who is able to to be a blessing to us without limit. The church is the hope of the world, but it is not the source. Will you stand with me? Just, there has been such an incredible spiritual atmosphere in the room this morning. And again, I, I, I know it's hot. Can we just... Trust God. Trust the lion of Judah that has been roaring over us, that right now, actually, is amongst you, in the midst of us, able to unblock. If you are needing unblocking, just open your hands to God right now. If you feel that you've been disconnected from the source, would you just connect right now? Would you give God an opportunity to come and unblock what has been blocking your, in your life? When you have been one who cowers and complains, right now, God, you opened Balaam's eyes. You opened his eyes. Would you open eyes right now in this auditorium? Would you open our eyes to our insufficiency? 
But would we accept it with humility, falling at your feet, falling onto our knees and saying, we see now. Our eyes were closed, but we see now. There's nothing that we can give that doesn't come from you. I cannot speak any words but the words that God gives me. Right now, would you just connect us, God, in, in, in your spirit? Would you connect with our spirits? Would you flow through us, your lifeblood, right now? Would you wash things out that need to be washed out? Would you pour life, not just a portion, not just a trickle, not just a tiny little cup, but your flow of life into us? In the name of Jesus, the scepter of, of Israel, the star of Judah, the one who is able to bring all flow and life, the only one who did not bleed out and therefore enabled us to step into what was the first, thing that, first time in history that we could be a blessing with more than enough in you to give to those around. Amen.